0: was great. Thank you so much, Mr. Steve. Thank you, choir. Thank you, orchestra, for opening us in worship and for all of you being here. I need to let you know I feel a little burn in my legs today because I got my first run of the year in a few days ago. And uh, if I'm honest, I would have to say the last run of the year that I had last year was a long time ago. So it's been a while, but I'm uh, trying to get back at it. And I've told you before, I am just not a uh, I'm not a real runner like some of you are. Um, But I do try to keep moving. You got to, you know, keep uh, maintain a certain level of fitness. We'll call it. Um, I do hear about some of you though that say you're addicted to running, and I heard a comedian talk about this, and um, he says I don't get this addicted to running, and I identify with him. He says I'm more addicted to not running, and I can't quite get the addiction to kick in. You know, the whole time I'm running, I'm thinking, when do you get addicted? You know, and you just because I'm ready to throw in the towel the whole time, but. Um, now, those of the, you that are supposedly addicted to running, I've noticed just how graceful you look out there. It's so inspiring to watch you run. Now, if you've had the great pleasure of seeing me run through the streets of, of downtown Columbia, you probably think, what's wrong with him, you know? <laughs> At least that's how I feel, you know? I feel like I'm just working harder than I should. I probably look like I'm skipping more than running. But nevertheless, you know, I keep trying to wait for that addiction to running to kick in, so maybe a few more years down the road, I'm not sure. Last week I introduced a series that we're going through called Own Your Mark, and it's going to keep us in the book of Hebrews. That may be confusing to some of you, but we're going to be in the book of Hebrews for a few weeks. And it's inspired from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, that urges us to run with endurance the race that God has placed before us. And the analogy of running a race is in reference to the Christian life. So in other words, we're not running a race in competition to other runners. In fact, we all are running, but our race is the specific race that God has placed in front of us. It's a race that requires effort. Um, it requires um, struggle. And our race will end in the arms of Jesus. That's what we believe. Well, if you were to summarize what our, life, our race is essentially to be about, it is a race running in the way of the cross. It is all about becoming like Jesus. Now we're really talented at complicating things and one of the things that we're good at complicating uh, is what it means to follow after Jesus. But Jesus himself summarized it by giving us what should be this great commandment for us in running the race that's in front of us. The great commandment Uh, Of course, is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. And then he gave us a new command, which is to love one another. So in other words, the Christian life, the race that's in front of us, should be one that causes us to grow in our love for God and in our love for one another. And it really sounds simple. But if we're honest this morning, we have to admit that truly we need a plan if we are going to grow in our love for God And mature in our love for one another. And at the same time progress to become more like Jesus. So for the next several weeks, uh, we're going to look at some basic practices. Some people call these spiritual disciplines. Perhaps they're habits habits that could turn into an addiction to growing to become more like Christ. So I would say if we want to finish... 2020 and say, you know, I've grown in my love for God and in my love for others and I have matured as a believer in Jesus Then I would say that this year we need to start with some new habits We need to start with some disciplines with some practices So that we can grow to become more like Christ and we can run with endurance the race for God So today we're going to look at the practice of receiving the Word of God into our lives for the sake of godliness and Christian maturity. This series is rooted, of course, in the New Testament book of Hebrews. And last week we looked at chapter 12, and today we're going to be in chapter 4. And in chapter 4, the writer gives an illustration about some people who were only partially following what we might call the way of the cross. They did not fully believe, which is to say they did not believe. They had not entered into what the writer calls... God's rest or the rest of God and the chapter what I think really underscores in those first 11 verses is the big temptation towards self-dependence relying on myself the people were not fully leaning on the gospel for salvation they thought that they could earn it that they could work towards it And the illustration is that God rested from his work on the seventh day in the same way we also must rest because our work will not accomplish for us the goal of salvation. But that's what the people depended on. They were depending on themselves for salvation, for wisdom, for direction. And so the writer points them to the only perfect guide that's available. And so look with me at Hebrews 4, and I'm going to read to you verses 12 and 13. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So what we see in this passage, is that God's Word is active, it's alive, and it's able to get below the surface of our lives to discern what's really happening within our hearts. So as we consider the race that's before us and how we're to run it with endurance and to grow in love and in Christian maturity, these two verses of Scripture remind us the most transforming practice of spiritual growth available to us is the regular intake of God's Word. So let's look at God's Word in light of Hebrews 4, verses 12 through 13, focusing on how we can discipline ourselves with habits of regular intake of Scripture. And so we're going to begin by looking at the first part of verse 12, which says, for the Word of God is living and active. So we're talking, first of all, about the Word of God. Now, many of you will recognize that this is translated from the Greek word lagos. That's where we get the word. John, the Apostle John in his gospel, opens up the gospel of John with that word. He says, in the beginning was the lagos. In the beginning was the word. And when he writes that verse, what he means is, in the beginning was Jesus. So he uses the logos in reference to Jesus. Now, there's some considerable, I don't know, debate or at least interest in who the actual human author is of the book of Hebrews. Scholars kind of debate back and forth between a few people, but none of them believe that John is the author. And so we have to ask our question: Ask the question, does the writer of Hebrews use the word logos here the same way that John does in his gospel? Or does it contain a different meaning? Well, the evidence is very clear that the author of Hebrews, in chapter 4, verse 12, is referencing God's revealed Word. The Word of God is God's revelation and is recorded in what we know of today as the Bible. So we have contained in this book 66 books that are God's revelation to humanity. God... Has spoken. And so the primary question becomes what then will we do with God's word? Well, the verse reminds us that the words contained in this book are not dead, they're not outdated, because he says, For the word of God is living. Now, there's a political debate, I would say, in our culture about the nature of our governing documents, specifically the Constitution. The phrase that some use to describe the Constitution is that it is a living document. And that's related to a speech that was made by uh, Supreme Court Justice Thurgood Marshall, who argued that the Constitution is a living document, meaning that it is to be interpreted in light of the moral, political, and cultural climate of the age of which it is being interpreted. So that means we ask the question, does Hebrew 4.12, when it says that the, the word of God is living, does that mean that it's, the way we interpret it should change with the age that we live in? Not at all. The scriptures are clear. They do not change. It is living in the sense that it possesses an energizing power that makes it always effective to accomplish its purpose. The prophet Isaiah says, the word will not return void. It will always accomplish what God has sent it to do. So it is a dynamic force that we have here in God's word. A force that man must reckon with. In Matthew 4-4, Jesus reminds us that we are dependent on God's word to sustain us. He says in Matthew 4-4, it is written... Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So God's word is living, and God's word causes things to happen. Secondly, he says, the word of God is living and active. What that means is it brings energy. It's not something that you passively hear and then ignore. It actively works in our life. God's Word is at work within our lives. It changes us. And it sends us or commissions us into action for the Lord. And so the point here is God's Word that spoke the Word into existence is the same Word that can change your life today. Donald Whitney uh, offers an illustration. He describes two brothers who are walking on their father's vast property, this wooded lot, and they happen upon a tree that is bearing all of this fruit, this delicious fruit. And they start to consume it, and it's great, until they fill themselves up. And then when they are filled and can eat no more, one brother takes all the fruit that's still laying there or still hanging there and carries it back with him. But the second brother instead digs up the tree And carries it back to his home where he plants it. And it flourishes there. And it produces fruit so that when the one brother has run out of fruit, this brother continues to have fruit bearing on this tree that he's planted there. Well, the Bible is like the fruit bearing tree in the story. Too many people try to survive upon a few nuggets that they find along the way and just carry with them. But the Scriptures, the Word of God, is meant to bear fruit in your life on a regular basis. So in order to run the race marked out in front of you, you need to intentionally plant the Word of God in your life so it can bear fruit and it can accomplish God's good purpose that He sent it out to do in your life. God's Word will change your life. So in 2020, I want to challenge you, and I'll put myself in the same boat, to develop habits for the regular intake of Scripture. Now, you know, there are several ways we receive the Word of God into our lives. First of all, the intake of God's Word occurs through hearing. In Romans 10, verse 17, it says So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. So here at First Baptist Church, we prioritize the proclamation of God's Word. If, we, we do not ask people to gather to see if Wes has anything good to say today. Because I can assure you, I don't. You know, y'all could come up with things just as good as I can. What I do have, though, is every good thing that's contained within the Scripture. And so that's where the message is to come from. It's built upon God's Word, the text of this book. Now, hearing is the easiest way for us to receive God's Word into our lives. But it still takes discipline. Because I know there are plenty of distractions. There's plenty of reasons not to gather to hear the Word of God proclaimed. There's plenty of reasons to be distracted even when you're in here. You may be preoccupied before you walk in the doors, so you don't even hear the Word of God proclaimed. So the idea is that when you come to hear the Word of God, you should prepare yourself to receive it. And the goal is not just passive listening, because remember, to int- the intake of God's Word is supposed to produce for us Christian maturity. It's to help us grow in love for God and for others. So just passive listening will not accomplish that in our lives. A second way we receive God's Word is through reading. I want you to think about that for a second. You can read God's Word. That is amazing. Now, this has not always been the case throughout history. And in fact, it's not the case for many believers living in the world today. They cannot read God's word like you can. So if you can read, if you can write, that's a blessing. I mean, literacy is a true blessing. I'm sure you can think of many reasons why you're glad that you can read, why you're glad that you can write. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, chief among those is the fact you can read God's word. Not only that, you have incredible access to it. Unlike any other generation that's ever lived, at just the touch of a finger, you can pull up the Word of God in your preferred translation. So the question is this. Does your ability to read and the access that you have to God's Word correlate with the amount of time you commit to reading this book? It should. If reading God's Word has the ability to help you mature In love and to grow in Christ's likeness there's no good reason that you should not be regularly reading the scriptures so I challenge you to practice the habit of reading God's word in 2020 and you might say well Wes how often do I need to do that so let me ask you a question how often do you have problems how frequently are you experiencing pressure in your life how often are you tempted to sin daily so i would say for the believer maturing in faith every day there should be time for god's word in your life the word is god is living it's active and so make room for it in your life A third way to practice bible intake is by studying the difference between reading and studying is a pen right so we're able to mark we're able to write down to take notes when you're studying that's what god's word that's what you do I want to give you an example from the Old Testament figure Ezra. In Ezra 7, verse 10, it says, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. So before he taught the word of God for the people, before he put it into practice, Ezra devoted himself to studying the word. So follow Ezra's example, by disciplining yourself to study the Bible. That's what Sunday school is for. That's what Bible studies are for. The truth is, that's what your personal time with God's Word should do. It provides you time to study. Fourth, the psalmist says in um, Psalm 119, verse 11, Your Word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Many of you remember that to say, thy word have I hidden my heart. The idea is memorization. Now I know that some of you, are, most of you, are about as eager to memorize scripture as you are to face Nero's lions. You have no interest in memorizing. You say you can't do it. You know, you say other people are so talented. I just can't memorize. Well, let's just be honest right now. You can. It might take work. It might be difficult for you, but it can be done. And if it has the ability to change your life, to mature you in the faith, to grow you in love, then why would you not do it? So how about it this year? What's it going to be? Can you commit to memorizing? Maybe it's one scripture. (laughs) Hopefully it's a little more than that. A fifth way to receive God's word is through meditation. Now, that may sound like a practice that they do in other religions. And you think, I don't know that Christians meditate. Well, it really is a biblical practice. Meditation is deep thinking on the truths and spiritual realities found in the scripture. So, more than hearing, more than reading, more than studying, more than memorizing, I'm pulling nuggets out that I am dwelling on all day, that's helping me to mature, that I'm saying, I wonder how I can, you know, what, what this means for me in this moment. Now, some of you would say, Wes, I don't really know how to meditate. You're going to have to help me there. Do you know how to worry? <laughs> worry is meditation. It's just you're meditating on the wrong things, right? So if you can worry, you can meditate. You, you just take those positive truths out of God's Word and you start to dwell on them. Let that become what you're obsessed about today. <clears throat> God's Word is living and active, which means it should be a living and active part of our lives. So God's Word is next described in Hebrews 12 as sharp. He says, For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow. To call God's word sharp means that it should not be taken lightly. When you pick up the knife, when you pick up the sword, when you pick up the scissors, you're careful how you hold them. It's the same way with God's word. In fact, it's sharp like a sword meaning that it can be used to defend and it can be used to go on the offensive. We know that Jesus famously used the word as a sword whenever he was doing battle with the devil in temptation. I was thinking about this and I thought, you know, you have to be able to trust the sword if you're actually going to use it. Well, the sword of God's word is the most trustworthy thing that we know on earth. 2 Timothy 3.16 says all Scripture is inspired by God. The words of this text are inspired, and there's so much scholarly study as to how we got it and how it's been preserved and why it's trustworthy. What we have here is God's very Word. It contains no error, and it serves as an authority for our lives. R.C. Sproul says if the Bible is the Word of God, And if God is a God of truth, then the Bible must be inerrant. Not merely in some parts, as some modern theologians are saying, but totally, as the church for the most part has said down through the ages of history. So the word of God is sharp. Hebrews 4 says it's piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit. So it's like a scalpel. It can remove and separate things that otherwise couldn't be done. It's able to get below the surface of our religiosity to see what's really happening within our hearts. So what this ought to communicate to us is that when we come to God's Word, we should come to it with a significant level of seriousness. We don't treat these words flippantly. It's not like a reference that we have in addition to other references. God's Word demands a response. Indifference towards the scriptures is as bad as disobedience. Being indifferent towards God's word is as bad as being disobedient to what you know is there. You know, there are some things that you hear that requires more than just a mild comment or a shrug of the shoulders. Last night, my wife said to me, "Um, uh, Wes, I think there's a storm coming in. And so, and I'm sure most of you experience this, right? I feel certain places, heavy winds, uh, lightning, storm, heavy rain. Well, in that moment... Um, I could have just shrugged my shoulders and moved on, but I actually thought, okay, what am I going to do if the winds do pick up, if the storms do come? What do I need to do so I can get the boys to sleep upstairs, downstairs with us? Because some things require real action. God's word demands that you respond. It demands you act. It should inspire you to true action. So the sixth way, really, to receive God's word for intake of the word into your life is through application. You should apply what you are hearing, reading, studying, memorizing, meditating on into your life. James writes in chapter 1, verse 22, But prove yourself doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. You know, it's easy to hear and read, and then never do anything about it. You know, I know it's easy because we do it all of the time. But we're adding the discipline of Bible intake in our lives for the purpose of maturing us in love, for growing us to become more like Jesus. So it's not going to cut it to just passively listen, to passively read it. We must put it into practice. So what you should expect every time you come to God's Word is that there is application for you in the text. So we come to Him with expectant hearts. What's God going to say today? This past week, we distributed journals for the sermon series. On your mark, you can pick those up at the connection desk today if you weren't here last week. But the idea is that you would begin to track the way you're running the spiritual race that's laid out before you. By journaling, you're able to remember what God teaches, what maybe the Holy Spirit brings a thought to mind or a question that you're considering, and you write it down so that you can see that later and remember. It also focuses you so that you can actually accomplish the goal of becoming more like Christ, of growing in love for God and for others, and so as you hear or read study uh, study God's Word, then I would suggest that you actually ask yourself, "What is it here that I'm to learn from? What can I apply?" And so you might just, in that journal or somewhere else, ask questions and respond to them. Does this text that I'm reading reveal something I should believe about God? Does it reveal something I should praise God for? Does it demonstrate something I should trust God for? Does it reveal something I should pray about, maybe for myself or maybe for someone else? Does the text reveal something I should have a different attitude about or make a decision about? Does it reveal something that I should do for the sake of Jesus? When we read, we ought to ask ourselves those questions. God's Word is alive and active. And as we approach God's Word, we discover it's sharp, that it should be put into action in our lives. And the other thing we discover is that God's Word is discerning. The end of verse 12. Able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So God's Word is not just two-dimensional words on a page. It is a discerning force. They can reveal to us what's truly going on in our hearts. It says it judges the thoughts and intentions. In other words, most people see what you do, but the Word of God can see behind that and see the motive or help you to recognize the motive or the thoughts or what's led you in that direction. And you think, well, how far-reaching is the discernment of God's Word? Look at verse 13. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him, with whom we have to do. So the Word of God exposes us to God. It divides what is thought of initially as un- indivisible, and it brings to the surface those things, those things we think are covered up. And God sees us, all things are open before Him. So the regular intake of God's Word will reveal or uncover our true thoughts, our true intentions. When I was in college, I was really struggling with what I was going to do when I graduated. And I'm sure some of you all have been there before. And thinking, what's going to happen? I just want to honor the Lord with my life. I just want to follow him. So I began to meditate on Matthew 6, 33, But seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. And so I would meditate on I would pray through that. God, I just want to seek you first. I just want to seek your kingdom. And I knew that all those things I was concerned about would be added to my life. In doing so and what I realized though after weeks and months of dwelling and meditating on that verse is God began to expose what was in below the surface of my heart rather than God in his kingdom I was simply seeking all these things I wanted the blessing I wanted the provision I didn't just want God I didn't just want his kingdom well it hit me like a ton of bricks and so of course I come to the Lord with in confession And I start to adjust my thinking because that's what God's Word does. It reveals what's going on in your heart. God's Word causes you to come clean before the Lord because you recognize He sees below the surface. God sees you today. God sees you. He sees your failures and your weaknesses. He knows about your flaws and your struggles. And guess what? He's not repelled. In fact, He wants a relationship with you. He looks on you with love. He loved you so much he sent his son Jesus so that you might be able to be in relationship with him as your heavenly father and you as his beloved child. God if sees you right now and he desires for you to believe and receive Jesus so that you might be in relationship with him. Would you be willing to do that today if God speaking into your heart? Living in relationship with God includes maturing in love and growing to become like Christ through his word. The regular intake of the Scripture will assist you to become more like Jesus, to grow in love for God and for others. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want to ask you to seriously take steps here at the beginning of the year to develop new habits so that you're regularly receiving the Word of God in your life on a daily basis. I mentioned several ways to do that, but let's just start with reading. If you're not reading God's Word, and listen, listen, You don't have to go from zero to 60 overnight. It could just be for a few minutes a day where you're receiving the word into your life. It's something we can all do. First thing you have to do is you have to make time. I know there's plenty of other things to distract you and to occupy your time. But if God's word's important, can you mark it down? I would suggest you do it the same time every day. That's how you develop a habit, right? Eventually, maybe it'll become an addiction to study or read God's word. So first, find time. Second thing is find a plan. Because I know it can be overwhelming to sit down with this and say, well, what do I read? Where do I read? How do I read through it? Well, there's all kinds of plans available online, through apps. Um, we'll make sure they're in the office and online. So that if you want a plan to know, I want to start today and I want to begin reading through the Bible, then you can commit to do that. And the truth is, minutes a day will only take you, you know, several months and you'll make it through the whole thing. Because that's all it takes to read through the Scripture. third thing I would ask you to do is every time you sit down with God's Word, Ask yourself, what's one thing I'm to take away? Maybe you jot it down in the journal. Something you can take away that you can say, I want to put this in to practice. Sometimes, though, you can feel guilty when you hear a message like this. You can say, once again, I thought last year I was going to do this, and I didn't do it again. Well, Paul really helps us out on this. He says in Philippians 3, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward towards what lies ahead. When you run a race, you've got to keep your eyes in front of you. Forget yesterday. Forget last year, but say, this year, this is what I'm going to do. What's your next step? Discipline without direction is drudgery. But the spiritual disciplines are never drudgery, as long as we practice them with the real goal of godliness in our lives. And the most transforming practice available to us is the discipline of the intake of God's Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the true gift of your word. God, that it is useful to us. It's alive and active, God. And we just pray that you would unleash it in our hearts to help us to grow, to become more like you, to mature in love, and to seek you all the days of our life. Father, we pray that in this moment you would just speak to hearts. Lord, may we respond to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If God is speaking to you today and you need to respond, we we'll are having an invitation. I'll be down front. Perhaps it's to join the church, follow in Believer's Baptism, respond to Jesus. Maybe it's to make some other commitment. Whatever it is, if God's speaking to your heart, would you respond? I'm going to invite you to stand. As you stand, our choir will sing and you respond. That you will make a commitment to make a difference in 2020 in your own spiritual growth. I want to draw your attention to a few things this Friday night. uh, We have one of these spiritual practices we're going to put in play, and together, here's a church, a night of prayer and renewal Friday. Uh, 6 p.m 1420 right over here. Um, uh, Richard told me to tell you dinners provided. And you don't got to bring money for it, okay? So they'll feed you as long as you'll come pray. So that's uh, Friday night and I hope that you'll join us there for that. Uh, next Tuesday, our real uh, men's ministry kicks off um, and that will I think you can RSVP for that, but the truth is, I bet they'll let you come even if you show up. Is that right, Joey? So uh, men, we'd love to see you there Tuesday, 6 p.m. in Ellis Hall. Also, we um, have an outreach here at our church uh, in the public schools, and uh, specifically at the Good News Club at Meadowfield Elementary. And I know that Carol Elliott would love to hear from some of you who are interested in serving uh, to bring the gospel. And I uh, listen... Uh, I've shared plenty of times. That is just one of the things that is near and dear to my heart. I taught in that Good News Club for, uh, for a couple years, and uh, it's a great place to serve. There's information in the bulletin if you just uh, look there. Also, we uh, are starting our um, Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts class. This is for newlyweds or nearly-wed engaged couples, and it's a, a seven-week course. Uh, That's held on Sunday mornings, and so some of you are here, but you may know somebody who needs to sign up for that. It's a free class, but it's a great Bible study, Um, and they really also, it's really a study of relationships as well. So you're going to want to encourage people to be there and be a part of that. There's information in the bulletin about that. Um, Also, uh, this coming Wednesday in the uh, South Carolina Senate, uh, there is, or over at the State House, there is a rally for um, a specific bill that's coming before the Senate, the heartbeat bill, uh, which is uh, to deal with issues of pro-life. It's a bill that uh, the governor is committed to sign, the attorney general is committed to uh, uh, defend, and the House has passed it an overwhelming majority, and they just want to see the Senate respond to it. would encourage you, there will probably be details that you can find out about how you can be a part of that, but you pray for that. Um, especially as the legislature comes into session. Um, also, we're so glad to have our college students uh, back after their Christmas break, and there is lunch and Bible study for you um, over in 1420, so I hope you'll join them over there. If you don't know where that is, you just stop by the connection desk, and they'll help you make your way over there. I'm glad to see you. I got through all those announcements, and I'm still standing. So, uh, But uh, we're so thrilled you're here. And I just really want to encourage you this week, You ask yourself, how can I put into practice what God's been doing in my heart? I invite you to stand. I'll pray our benediction will be dismissed. Jesus, have your way with us. Have your way with us. May we respond and follow you more diligently. It's in Christ's name that we pray.